I can't remember the last time an OU true freshman early enrollee has gotten as much praise by coaches and players as one Buki Radley-Hiles. Ever since spring ball began, the hype around this guy has been off the charts, and that continued into last week during defensive availability. Kerry Cook said Buki is making a ton of plays in practice, and it's not always big-time obvious plays, but he's also just making smart, smaller plays that can go unnoticed. Buki's play has made other players in the secondary want to step up their game. You heard that right. A D-back for Oklahoma who's never played a single college football snap is apparently playing so well in practice that guys who've been here before want to step up their game to match a true freshman early enrollee. Cook said Buki has been getting work not just at one position, but three positions, corner, safety, and nickelback. At one point last week, Kerry Cook said Buki is one of the guys where you only need to tell him something once, and he's got it. According to Cooks, Buki's ability to understand how to play multiple positions is incredibly advanced. In fact, Cooks said it took Stephen Parker until his senior year to learn how to play two positions well. A reminder, Buki is getting work in at three positions. Now, I think Buki is going to be a starter in the secondary on day one. I think Buki is the best defensive back Oklahoma has right now. Without even playing a down of college football, I think his high school tape just looks so good that it's clear to me that he is the best player. Is it possible a lot of this talk about Buki is hyperbole? Sure. We're not allowed to watch practice. Talk is cheap after all. But again, I can't remember the last time a player got this much hype as a true freshman early enrollee. Maybe Grant can help me out with that here in a moment. Hype is one thing. Actually playing well and being a difference maker in real games is another. I think Buki has the ability to be a big-time difference maker at Oklahoma. However, my biggest fear is this Oklahoma scheme and current culture of poor defense renders his abilities ultimately useless. Time will tell whether or not my fear is realized. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hook fake by Jones. Going to go deep down the far side. Got a man open to the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills. What a pair of hands. The importance of catching a football with your hands. A little pump fake. And it got Greg Reed to bite on it. And look how strong. Kenny Stills' hands are to be able to secure that football. It's underthrown a little bit late. Look how strong he is to secure it and bring it down for a touchdown. Kenny Stills highlights our intro today. His touchdown grab midway through the fourth quarter against fifth-ranked Florida State back in 2011 served as the eventual game-winning score. Stills was fantastic on that September night in Tallahassee. Seven catches, 125 yards, and the deciding touchdown. Here in the fourth month of the year, we celebrate another former Sooner who wore the number four in Crimson and Cream. And with that, let me welcome you into West of Everest. Again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join me in a moment. The spring game is this Saturday. More details surrounding the event has emerged since our last show, including team coaches. And it sounds like Grant will get his wish. Uh, will get his wish. We will get an actual football game at Owen Field. We'll cover all of that. Plus, which team should be favored to win the game? Definitely an April football podcast topic right there, no doubt. Also, I've got some sound for you all that uh, I got from the pro football focus guys. I'll play it. Uh, it's putting into perspective just how good Baker Mayfield is at playing the quarterback position. So we'll talk about that as well. But first, it's your weekly reminder that we are on Facebook. If you're on Facebook as well, please locate the West of Everest podcast page and give us a like. We appreciate you all who watched my opening take on Facebook Live. If you have any comments, questions, leave them on Facebook. We'll get back to you. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, feel free to give the show a rating and or a review. And also, as you all know, you can email us. The email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. That's westofeverest at gmail.com. And finally, Grant and I are both on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. So with that, let's bring in Grant for the first time. I got two questions for you, Grant, to start the show. First of all, how's it going? And two, 
Are you aware that Oklahoma had not one but two all-time wide receivers on the field that night against Florida State? And then really not just that night, but all season. All right, Lee. First of all, question number one, how's it going? I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. Number two, yes, of course, you're referring to Ryan Broyles as the other one, um, who is, for my money, still the best receiver in Oklahoma history. Well, the stats will certainly back that up. I mean, it's not even close. He's his his number of receptions will probably never be broken. He's got 349 career receptions. Sterling Shepard is second on the list with 233. It's incredible. That's insane. One of the things, like obviously this is dumb because you know they they played was it four to five years apart, but it's too bad we never got to see a Baker Mayfield to Ryan Broyles connection in Crimson and Cream. How cool would that have been? And and how prolific would that have been? That would have been insane. You know what? That would be insane. I, you know, I, I'm going to have to maybe amend myself. That, this might not be a complete list. I went to the Oklahoma website to look at the career record book. And Sterling Shepard, this might not include his last season because under Shepard, it's, it's this might be old. They haven't updated this yet, actually. Sterling Shepard is highlighted like he's still active. So this is, that, that might be fake news. That, you know, Sterling Shepard might be a lot closer to Ryan Burles than I just made it out to be. Uh, potentially but hold just give me one second I'll, I'll let you know he has 200 he had 233 catches it's not wrong you're right in his career yep he had oh. he had 45 in 2012 51 in 2013 and 2014 and he had 86 in 2015 so you're you're right on the money okay well they need to update the record books though because it still says sterling shepherd is active in this record book and this is from the oklahoma website the soonersports.com Anyways, Kenny Stills is fourth on the list with 204 career receptions. So uh, two top four receivers as far as catches go in that game. Uh, Stills had 24 touchdowns in his career. Sterling Shepard had 26. So. Who's third all time? Is it Iglesias? Mark Clayton. Oh, you know, of course. Silly. Mm-hmm. Iglesias is fifth. And shockingly, number six... If I told you that number six on the all-time receptions career list is a running back, who would you guess? Murray, DeMarco Murray. Ah, you'd be close, but it's not true. Really? I'm, I'm wrong there, huh? Who was it? Uh, it's definitely not Joe Mixon, so it would be... Quentin Griffin, Q. Oh, I didn't know that he caught a lot of passes, to be honest with you. Uh, that's a little... That was a long time ago. I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a young lad in, in those days. He caught two more passes in his career than DeMarco Murray. Quentin Griffin had 169 catches. Murray had 167. Very close. This seems like a perfect time to bring up the fact that DeMarco Murray was a spectacular pass catcher in college. That sure fact, was. That fact is completely irrelevant to, to what we're talking about right now, nor does it really matter, but I just wanted to bring it up because he was, he was just really a phenomenal college player. It's too bad that he was, he was injured for a lot of his career, or at least it seems like in the most the most inopportune times he was injured. It was just a little, a little too unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the OU Florida national title game, the most obvious injured injury game. All right. That was a fun stroll down memory lane. And speaking of taking a stroll down memory lane, we've got some new details on the spring game that came out since our last podcast. And some former Sooners are going to be involved, Grant. We got Adrian Peterson and Trent Williams coming back to be honorary head coaches in the spring game. Peterson is the head coach of the white team. Trent Williams is the head coach of the red team. And they will have assistant coaches. AD's assistant coach will be Tony Jefferson. And Trent Williams' assistant coach will be Lane Johnson. So those are some four really big-time names coming back to be honorary coaches in the spring game. So that's something. That's interesting. Um We'll see if, if that moves the needle here and there with uh, potential people wanting to go to the game. Also, something that I think you are more interested in, they've selected the rosters for each team, red and white, the coaching staff did. And according to the release, they tried to make the rosters as even as possible. And most importantly, though, the spring game will actually be a football game, a traditional format with traditional scoring. So is this what you wanted all along, Grant? Yes, I am very excited about the new details coming out today. I think it's a, it's a great idea what they're doing. 
Um, I'm a football fan, man. I really like football. I, I just, I really didn't like the the format they've had. It seems over the last decade, um, I I couldn't even tell you what they were doing, but it was definitely a weird scoring system where they would, where I, I it's like they everyone was on the same team, but it was quarterbacks or something like that who were on different teams. It was just, it was a mess. It was hard to follow if you were watching it on TV. Uh, the the football was bad either way. So you know, yeah, I I, th- I think this is going to be a lot easier to watch. It'll it'll make it. Um, it'll make it easier to follow just so you know what's going on. Um, so I, I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, this, me, this, this was always something that, that I think is, is catered to someone like me and, and fans like me. I just, I, I like football and I want the game to be as close to a football game as humanly possible because otherwise I that's, that's really the only way that I think that we can accurately gauge these, these guys' performance. Um, and, and that's been one of my complaints about the spring game in the past is that it's just, it's, it's such a truncated and such a, just kind of stripped down football game that you can't even get really an accurate representation about who's playing well and who's not. So um, I, I think this is really, uh, this is something I really like. Um, I, you know, I, I might even watch the game now just because it, it, this might make it a tad more watchable. All right, so I'm looking back at this article written in 2012 from Jason Kersey at the Oklahoman, who is now a writer for The Athletic, I believe. And it's about scoring, the scoring system for the spring game, because I heard you talking about that a second ago, and it made me realize that I had no idea how they scored games either. And so this is from, again, 2012, so a long time ago, but I would assume that they kept this the same way throughout all these years under Bob Stoops. And here is how the spring game scoring was back then. It says the offensive scoring is just standard, so I guess that's just whatever you get, regular football. But for the defense – the defense will get six points and an extra point attempt for touchdowns, but will also get three points for fourth down stops, missed field goals, and turnovers, and will be awarded two points for sacks. It's just it's incredibly confusing, like you said, and it's it makes you wonder why this was ever a thing to begin with. And I'm sure other schools I'm not not sure I know other schools do similar things like this because this is the way spring games are, but I'm with you. I like the idea that it's going to be a regular football game. It'll be a lot more easy to understand what's going on, and that's even mentioned in the press release. Is like, yeah, that's the whole point is that we're they're trying to get to the fans understand what's going on because everyone going to the game knows what it's like to watch a regular football game, and they understand how football works. It's an incredibly simple game. So if it's just two teams playing a real regular football game, that would only uh, add to the interest of the game, I, I would expect. So uh, the old – scoring system was certainly weird and i'm glad it's gone good on oklahoma for changing that up uh for this upcoming saturday so that that makes things a lot more interesting i think this also this also affords the opportunity to i mean you could have a dynamite football game it could be a really good close dramatic football game towards the end um and obviously that's never a bad thing and of course the flip side of that too is that it could be a a a completely non-competitive game as well um but you know we'll see what happens I, i think this is certainly encouraging and so I, I, you know, I said that maybe I'll actually watch the game now. Of, of course, I'm going to watch the game. It's 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 a joke. I, I have a podcast where I talk about Oklahoma football. Of course, I'm going to watch the spring game. But I, I this it's it's just I, I like this a lot more. Um, and and I and I really think uh, just situational stuff is going to be a lot better as well. Um, something that I don't think we ever really got a good look at in, in spring games past. Um, and that really just came to me now. The, the situations I think are going to be a lot better. The the more the more instances you can put these guys in actual game situations, I think is is only going to be a, a positive development. I will say though, I'm I have a bit of uh, a bone to pick with with the the uh, the planning for this because why wait until because this came out this news came out on monday so monday of the spring game so less than a week before the spring game why wait till monday to announce this i i I mean because it sounds like you know both of us are are like hey this is this is good i'm glad they're doing this you know why not make that clear they're going to do this format like a couple weeks ago maybe it would have it would have garnered more interest uh sure there's still plenty of time for people to see this news and think oh that that makes it interesting. I'll still go to the game. So I suppose it might not be that big of a deal. But they could have at least uh, announced the format of this and said, hey, the rosters are coming out at a certain date. Stay tuned for that. And, and it's going to be a real game. So I think it's kind of interesting that they waited this long just to announce the format of it. But um, as I was saying that now, I'm realizing it's really not that big of a deal. I was wondering if you did you even think about that at all? Nah, I mean a, a little bit, but I I would I would only this is something assume... that you were complaining about last week is like 
It was spring like spring game. Spring games are not real football games. It was, and, and I can only imagine the reason they didn't say anything earlier were probably reasons that are purely logistical. Um, for instance, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they had to wait to to secure you know AD and Tony Jefferson and Trent Williams and stuff like that. I'm sure they had to, you know be on the same page there i wouldn't be surprised if that was the reason why and and you know i mean it or they could have just decided to do it the week of the game who knows but i i I would just assume it was a logistical thing with with them securing kind of just the the appearances of of the former players is, is what i would guess and speaking of those um former players coming back to coach i wonder if there's any other tricks up their sleeves will we see Adrian Peterson in a uniform on Saturday playing oh, the game. Come on, <laughs> he's a free agent now. He's not on a team. Why not? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine if people if, would get injured or something. That would well, be yeah, yeah, but it would sure. be, it'd be awesome. It'd be so I, something, fun. something I wanted to bring up when the, um, when the, when the four players who are going to be acting as the honorary coaches were announced obviously have Adrian Peterson who's a free agent but the other three Jefferson Lane Johnson and Trent Williams those are probably the three best professional uh sooner players in the NFL right now would you agree um let's see Lane Johnson certainly up there Trent Williams I mean he's been a Trent Williams is is the best professional OU has right now kind of just been a I mean set on that Redskins O-line well I mean he's been Um, the well he I mean he's been the best left tackle in the world for about three or four years now He's really he's been that good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't watch offensive line game film, so I don't really know. Yeah, it's basically it's it's basically him and Joe Thomas, and then now Joe Thomas is is not a thing. So Trent Williams. What about uh, who who's on the Jaguars? Who's uh, the player on the Jaguars? Really uh, Colvin is no longer on the Jaguars. He plays for the Texans now, but yes, he's oh, that's also, right. Yeah. He's also had a very good uh, very good career up to this point. Um, behind these players, uh, it, was, it was if I had to rank them right now, I'd probably go Trent. Uh, Trent Williams and then Lane Johnson and then Tony Jefferson and then and then right after him I would probably put um let's see here someone like uh Kenny Stills probably after him and yeah. then and then maybe uh like a DeMarco Murray Joe Mixon mix I would get I, I would say yeah that's some good names I mean yeah, I, could, I haven't I, given much thought to that so I could talk about this all day I mean these are these are the things that really matter mm-hmm. ranking the the sooner players in the NFL by quality Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Let's talk about some of the current players on the roster, not the uh, old NFL guys. What do you think? How about this? Uh... All right, so I broke down. <laughs> there wasn't really a good transition there. I, Pretty classy. I got... Pretty classy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we got a white team. We got a red team. And we got rosters for both these teams. And let's go over these rosters and decide on which team should be favored, which team is better. So the big, the obvious is, you know, which team does Kyler Murray play for? Which team does Austin Kendall play for? So we'll start with the white team. This is Adrian Peterson's team, and that's Kyler Murray's team. So here we go. We got Murray at quarterback. At the running back spots, we got Trey Sermon, Marcellus Sutton, and TJ Pledger. Jeremiah Hall is in there at fullback. Wide receivers on the team, Marquise Brown, Michael Jones, Lee Morris, A.D. Miller, and Miles Tease. There is no tight end on this team. On the offensive line, we got Jonathan Alvarez, Adrian Ely, Quinn Mittermeyer, Drew Samia, and Eric Swinson. So pretty solid offense there. Offense looking good. Now let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. We've got Amani Bledsoe on the D-line, Dylan Famatau, which we'll have to figure out how to say his name because I think we'll get a lot of playing time this upcoming year. Addison Gums is like a defensive lineman, linebacker, kind of hybrid kind of guy there. Marquise Overton, Marquise Overton. And Ronnie Perkins on the D-line. At linebacker, Ryan Jones, Kenneth Murray, John Michael Terry, and Levi Draper. And in the secondary, we got Parnell Motley, Buki Radley-Hiles, Robert Barnes, Starlin Baldwin, and Miguel Edwards. So the white team looks pretty good. That is a solid white team. Now I'll go to the red team. Of course, at quarterback is Austin Kendall. Running backs, Rodney Anderson and Kennedy Brooks. At fullback is Carson Meyer. Wide receivers for the red team, C.D. Lamb, Charleston Rambo, Jaqueline Crawford. They have Grant Calcaterra at tight end. On the offensive line, Bobby Evans, Cody Ford, Creed Humphrey, Ben Powers, and Logan Robertson. I'm not sure if it's Robertson or Roberson. At, on the D-line, it's Neville Gallimore, Mark Jackson, Tyree Slott, Kenneth Mann, and Jalen Redmond. 
at linebackers, Curtis Bolton, Caleb Kelly, and Brian Mead. And in the secondary, you got Khalil Houghton, Patrick Fields, Trey Brown, Justin Broyles, Trey Norwood, Chance Sylvie, and Jordan Parker. Although I'm not sure if Jordan Parker will actually be able to play. That is unclear at the moment. So those are all the teams. I know it's a lot of names I just rattled off there from each side. But just off the top of your head, Grant, which team is better? I I honestly don't know. I, I think it's, it is it is obvious that they tried to make them as even as possible. Uh, so I, I look at them. It's You think, you know, Marie has the heads up on the quarterbacks. But I think, you know, the, the rest of the white team offense leaves a little bit uh, to be desired. Of course, you got Marquise Brown there. But it's definitely the second team offensive line. Uh, there minus you know Drew Samia everyone else uh, and I guess Adrian Ely also might be the starting right tackle uh, but I think just kind of the especially on the red team the the offense is a lot better you have you know Bobby Evans and, and Ben Powers are the two best offensive linemen on the team that team has Calcaterra the team has Lamb it's mentioned it as Rodney Anderson as well so um, and I think the the two defenses look to be fairly even it's it definitely looks like they tried to they went kind of position group by position group um, so for instance uh, looking now the the white team the defensive line uh, is better than, than the red team's defensive line um, also the white team's linebackers are much better than the red team's linebackers it's actually so now that I look about now that I look at this it, it kind of seems like and, and they gave the the red team the more experienced defensive backfield um, but other than that I guess now to answer your question I would say the I, I'd say the red team is actually probably a little better just because they have um, they're a little better in the in the offensive trenches but yeah you know I'm, I'm, I'm struggling I think these teams are actually pretty pretty even to be honest with you you know, going into this, I was going to say no question the white team is better. But now after listening to you talk and me kind of scanning over the teams a little bit more, it is pretty even. I mean, you could do the easy thing because we both think and not just us, everybody thinks or knows or predicts that Kyler Murray is going to be the starter over Austin Kendall. So you can always base it, hey, quarterback, quarterbacks, the, the most important position on the field. Therefore, the white team is better because Kyler Murray is the quarterback of the white team. Um but yeah, it's. I'm trying to look at the uh, everything else. I mean, offensive line, sure. There's more experience on the red team. Uh, at, at offensive line, I, I, you know, I will say it, it. It certainly makes sense why the red team has Calcaterra, and the white team doesn't have a tight end because outside of C.D. Lamb, the red team's wide receivers are just. I mean, sorry for these guys, but Charleston Rambo and Jaquelin Crawford are kind of no-name guys. Crawford, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there's don't be surprised if Charleston Rambo is is much more of an impact player this year than than a Michael Jones is. Um, I'm being serious there. So, I mean, I think Charleston Rambo is a more talented player than Michael Jones. So, I know, I know, we haven't seen him on the field yet, but um, I, I just, I, I, the red team, I think, is, you know is really good on offense. I just, I, with Rodney Anderson and I think they're, uh, the wide receivers are all athletic and I know Jaquelin Crawford's a true freshman, but Charleston Rambo, there's lots of talk that he's really coming on. And then CD lamb, you know, he's, he's the best receiver on the team. And then there, there's Calcaterra. And when you add in Bobby Evans and, and Ben powers there too, I think, you know, I generally, I, I think the red team has, has a bit of a, a bit of an advantage in this game, just, just a small one. So, Oh, do you have something else to say? Well, uh, and also too, looking at the defensive backs on the white team, they're just all very young. So you know, you got you got Motley, who who is nice for for the white team, and and there's Bookie too. But Robert Barnes isn't playing. And then who who is it of Starlin Baldwin and Miguel Edwards who is uh, who, who's been out this spring? I'm not aware of either one of those guys being out. I don't know Barnes Barnes has missed time. Uh, Barnes is. So, I mean, Barnes should be ready to go. Oh, okay, the so they game. are playing. I, I, I thought, I, I thought the words were that Barnes just that Barnes and like Sylvie just weren't practicing this spring. Well, as of, I mean, the update that I have, most recent one from last week from Kerry Cooks and Mike Stoops, is that Robert Barnes has a hamstring problem, but it's not a big deal and he should be fine. Uh, Chance Sylvie is another guy. His he had a he rolled his ankle or sprained his ankle, and his was a little more tricky. So there's a chance that. On the red team, because there's Chance Sylvie and Jordan Parker, and of course Jordan Parker has just in the last two weeks resumed practicing for the first time coming off that knee injury. So there's a chance that Parker isn't going to play, and Chance Sylvie, if his ankle is still uh, acting up, he might not play. So and then uh, and then yeah. also what happens with uh, with the linebackers on the red team? So the the ones that we have listed here: Curtis Bolton, Caleb Kelly, and Brian Mead. Well, Caleb Kelly is out for the he's not playing, right? 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, he uh, was he was he missing the whole? Yeah, because he was. Yeah, we talked about how he got he was injured all of last year, and he had he had surgery. Yeah, so they're really hurting at linebacker. And then, so there. as I say, I'm looking at other linebackers on the red team. You have something called a Travis DeGreat, who is a redshirt freshman linebacker. Apologies to Travis if he's listening to the show. Um, let's see here. What else? Um, Kelly is her, which leads me to believe Mark Jackson Jr. will probably play some some weak side linebacker during the game. There's Brian Meade, like you already mentioned. Yeah, they and then you know Jalen Redmond will play the jack position. I'm I'm certain. So yeah, not the red team is kind of hurting for linebackers. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I I totally missed and and f- forgot about Caleb Kelly being out. Um, so yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, the, the linebacking core on the red team was already incredibly thin and they don't really have a whole lot of linebackers so uh that makes it interesting as well so that leads me to believe you're going to see a lot of uh, yeah you're going to see a lot of Mark Jackson and Jalen Redmond probably playing linebacker as well you'll see that and then maybe you'll get a lot of nickel we'll get a lot of nickel and dime we'll get a lot of defensive backs on the field that would be awesome I, I would love to see that I would love to see some new formations but I'm not going to hold my breath in the slightest um <laughs> uh, Let's play a, a, another fun exercise, or let's do another exercise. I know uh, over at Sooner Scoop, Eddie Radosevich, uh, you know, he uh, he's a good Twitter follower for Oklahoma fans, and he uh, put his his opening line for the game, his spread, if you will, for the spring game, just in jest. And he's got Trent Williams's team, which is the red team, favored by five and a half points. Now, if you were Las Vegas and you had to make a, a line for this game, what would you make the line? Who would be favored? Who would be the underdog? I'd take the red team by like two and a half, something like that. It would be close. I, I just think I, I think the red team is 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 just is clearly better on offense, I think is where they just have a huge advantage. But also the the white team defense is all is also clearly better than the red team defense. So I mean, there you go. I mean, they're even teams. So we'll. Uh, yeah, we'll I see. think the spread. I, th- I think the spread that Eddie's got at at five and a half is way too big. I I would actually I would say that the white team would be favored. I'd say the white team would be favored by three. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't. I, I don't think mainly, that's crazy. It's mainly to, Kyler Murray. Yeah, and you know going. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's mainly Kyler Murray. I mean, what is Kyler Murray going to do really? Lee? I mean, if he's if if he's touched once, he's down. In a, in a game so like i, I don't it's you know what i mean Ooh, yeah that's so i, I don't pretty sharp I, pretty outside sharp of out there i i don't know if kyler murray is going to be a huge threat running the ball in this game just because when you know it when it's two-hand touch for the quarterback it just that really does take away some of the effectiveness of the of the quarterback run game so actually you know what I, i'm gonna I'm, I'm totally gonna switch this and, and i'm doing this on the fly you know these rosters just came out just hours before you're on here it's kind of the first i'm really digging into these um, I, Grant, these I, rosters I, came out on Monday. You've they had did a whole co- 24 hours. Did they really? Ah, interesting. Check this out. You know what, man? When you're an adult working in the working in the world and you, you get busy, it just kind of, you know, some things happen. What day is today? Is today Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, we record weird. these on Tuesdays. Yep. Oh, it's the it's the dog days of April. I'm telling you. But actually, Lee, I'm going to say the white team should be favored because, and here's why. Here's why. We have talked uh, ad nauseum, or at least over the last month or the last couple weeks, about how defense is always ahead of offense in the spring, in these scrimmages always. The white team has the better defense. I think they clearly have the better defensive roster in this game. And I'm just going to continue to go with that logic, that the defense is kind of always ahead in situations like this. So I'm just going to favor the team that that looks like they have the best defensive players, and that's the white team. So I'm going to take the white team as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, but but I think they have a little more. Uh, they have some. They're they're definitely going to have some challenges containing some of the some of the offensive weapons on the red team. Mostly, you know, the Rodney Anderson, C.D. Lambs, and, and the Grant Calcaterras of the world. And 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 also, you got two you got two high NFL draft picks blocking on that offensive line as well. So it's this is going to be an interesting game. I am talking myself into actually being excited <laughs> about this game, Lee. I'm I'm just ready to watch some OU football. I, this I is, think that was a really good handicap, a really good handicap of why the white team should be favored. Uh, I, you know, as I as we were talking about this, I might have to go ahead and and contact Eddie and and say, hey, hey, you know, how about you got the you got the red team favored by five and a half points? I will gladly take 
the white team plus five and a half in a friendly wager. I might have to just see if he's up for that because uh, I I think that he is he has mishandicapped this game. I think the the wrong team is favored, and I think there's a lot of value on that white team. And also. Another thing could happen is that this is a spring game. We have no idea what's going to happen. It could just be a, a cluster, you know what, and it's just terribly ugly football and nobody <laughs> deserves to win, which is generally how every spring game has ever played out in the history of spring games. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe this one will buck the trend. Tune in to find out. Absolutely. Uh, 115 on Saturday. What is the uh, most interesting storyline of this entire spring game to you? Is it... Will Oklahoma get 80,000 people in the crowd? Is it something to do with the actual game? Is it the ancillary events like Marquise Brown running a 50-yard dash or Lincoln Riley kicking field goals? What is the most interesting thing to you about this whole event? The most interesting storyline of this game, Lee, by far, is the amount of high-level recruits that are going to be in the stands. That's why this game is important. Um, I, I know... And, you know, I, we, we've talked about this a lot and I know they're, they're really trying to, you know, to do all these bits, to get people out. And i you know, the stuff that, that we've seen this week, like I've already said, I really like, but when it comes down to this weekend is big because of the, the recruiting aspect of it, Lee, I think I've already seen, I mean, they have, they already have a handful of five-star guys who are going to be there on Saturday, maybe even more coming as well that haven't confirmed. So I, it's, it's huge. I mean, this is how we, we saw in the Rose Bowl last year and we saw in the national championship game with with Georgia and Alabama, you got You got to improve the talent on the field if, if you're going to compete with those guys, play in and play out. And I, this is huge. Just a massive recruiting weekend. Um, and, and sure, the part of the story is, are they going to be able to get the 80,000 they want? But the reason why that is important is because of how important this is for recruiting. So I, I, the, the game takes a backseat to this. This is just a massive recruiting weekend. For me, I will look towards more on-the-field action. I am... Really looking forward to, even though it's just a spring game and it doesn't matter all that much, I want to watch Buki Radley-Hiles play football. I'm interested to watch this guy play in a, in a somewhat competitive scenario and atmosphere. First time we're going to see him not high school tape. First time we're going to see him uh, going up against college players. From what I've seen in his high school tape and the way he's been described and talked about for the last month, this guy I, I think is going to be really good. And I want to see if he looks as... Uh, as smart on the field, as athletic, and just uh, as, I guess, as nuanced playing whatever defensive back position he ends up playing uh, for the the white team. So I'm really interested to watch Buki play football. I think he is, out of all the players on the field on Saturday, he is the one that I am most looking forward to seeing how, uh, how he performs. So... How about this? So last year, if you remember, Grant, uh, did you watch the spring game at all last year, or did you kind of uh, just skip? I, over I watched it? highlights. I watched highlights, oh, okay. and then just and just read what people were saying about it. So last year, I think it was like the third play of the game. Parnell Motley picked off Mayfield on a deep pass, and he looked really athletic. And he had a good game. I think he had a, cu- a couple other pass breakups, and and it was like, who's this Parnell Motley guy? And what do you know? When the season began and and fall camp and everything like that, he was always talked about how Motley was going to be this great player and Parnell Motley had a good year I mean he kind of faded a little bit down the stretch but Parnell Motley was a really good player for Oklahoma for the most part in 2017 so this Saturday if you had to predict one player that's like has a that that plays really well in the spring game and will also continue to play well in the actual fall who would it be Lee I'm going to cheat a little bit like I always do in situations like this and I'm going to give you two players one on offense one on defense is that fair yeah yeah okay. sure uh, guy on guy on offense, I think is going to be Charleston Rambo. I just mentioned him about ten minutes ago. Um, I, he's he's a guy who, if you just go back and look at his high school film, he's a guy who's got a lot of lot of ability. Had to spend a year as a redshirt so the so the green light could come on. I, I just you keep hearing rumblings about how impressive he has been, and that if you know it, you know once he puts it all together, the Big Twelve you know look out for this guy. And and I, and I really I, I think Charleston Rambo is going to add a, a new element to the to the Sooners passing game this year that I don't think a lot of us are expecting. So I on offense I think it's going to be Charleston Rambo. Uh, on defensively it's I it's going to be one of the young defensive backs. And right now just because I, I, I I'll say I'll say Trey Brown is going to be that guy. Um, I Trey Brown was in his in his limited playing time this past season. He's a guy who really, really impressed me just with his physicality, his athleticism, and just he's a gamer. And I really like him. And, and I'm uh, I really hope he's given an honest uh, and, and good shot at winning that that other cornerback job opposite of Motley. 
because I, he's he's just really impressive. He's a guy who wants to go up there and 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 be physical as man, play press coverage, and and Trey Brown just has I. He's he's just got kind of annoying athletic defensive back written all over him, and I I'm I'm excited to watch him play this season. I think he's going to have a big game. Yeah, I'm going to cheat as well because one, I I think Buki's going to have a good game, and I think he's going to be really good next year, and and so that's that's kind of boring because he's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, I'm going to go with other defensive backs as well. I think I can see Justin Broyles looking really good. Just have a hunch, and then on the defensive line, and you and I vehemently disagree on this guy. I think Kenneth Mann's going to be a very important part of this team, and so I can see him having a good game. And doesn't I think he's have a position. To, doesn't have a position. He, he I, does. I just, he does. And he's he was getting talked up by Neville Gallimore the other day. So I don't. Cool. Yeah. You know, I, I hope he has a great year. But he's a he, he's a four three defensive end in a you know playing for a team that runs a three four. So you know, I don't. Peaking. Well, we just we disagree. I think I think Kenneth Mann has all the abilities to be. Uh, a good defensive end for Oklahoma. No, I, I think I, I think his ceiling is as as is as a situational pass rusher, and I I just I, I I I don't see how he can play on first and second down. Let's look at the other side of it. Now you probably remember last year, Marcellus Sutton had a nice game. I think he scored two touchdowns. looked looked pretty darn good, and a lot of that went into my thoughts about him being the best running back. <laughs> On Oklahoma in the fall, which ended up being the the worst prediction of, of anybody last year. So, if there's going to be a player in this game that that's that stands out and looks really good, but maybe he's not going to end up being that great next year. And I guess you could also add uh, Jeff Mead too. He had that long touchdown catch last year, and I thought maybe the lights finally came on for Mead, but then he he didn't really contribute much at all this past fall. Uh, if there's a guy that's going to have a, a nice game, but maybe it's like a you're thinking not so fast. Let's not base the way we think about this guy in the spring game. Is there anybody that stands out to you that could fit that description? Well, the first thing that comes to mind Lee, is Kennedy Brooks. Um, there's been a lot of really positive developments and talk coming, you know, coming from his camp, I suppose, in the spring where he he's really looked good. And I, and I think he's battling some, some, some consistency issues. I know there, there's been some questions about how effective he is catching the ball out of the backfield. But other than that, I've heard he's just, he's just a big play waiting to happen. He's taken a lot of things to the house. So I think just with a, with a crowded running back backfield or, or crowded, I'm using, I'm using quotes with my fingers just because there's Rodney Anderson, but there's, but there's also just a lot of ability behind him as well. I think Kennedy Brooks is probably the safest choice out of all these. But also, I mean, look towards the wide receivers too. I think someone like Miles Tease and Lee Morris are two guys who just kind of scream, we might have a massive spring game, but then you might forget about us, you know, come the season. Other than that, I, I mean, I'm looking at some of these, you know, it, it could be Marcellia Sutton who does the same thing again, Lee. You know, I was going to say uh, just, 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 uh, bear with me here. This logic is going to be convenient logic for me, but I'm going to go with one of the players you mentioned, Lee Morris. And as you remember last year, Lee Morris had a couple touchdown grabs. Uh, I believe the, the one was the one was against Ohio State, right? He had yeah, a big touchdown, and then he had one uh, later against on UTEP. At, no, he had one against UTEP from UTEP, Kyler. Yeah, and, and and Morris and Murray used to be high school teammates, so that's my rationale. My, that's my logic is that they're going to be together in this spring game on the same team. They could have some nice rapport, but it might not transition or, or tran, you know, yeah, transition into the regular season. Now, or the logic doesn't make sense, and I will admit, is that, well, if they have a nice rapport in the spring game, isn't it possible that they'll have a nice rapport in the actual regular season with each other? But the question is, will Lee Morris be talented enough to, to be in that 2-3-4 deep at wide receiver? He could be, uh, but that's my prediction uh, I, I could see Lee Morris having a nice game, but really not being that much of a factor come the fall. As far as the defense goes, I don't, I don't really have anybody on the defense because the defense is such an interesting side of the football. I mean, it, it, for the last two years, it hasn't been good. It's tough to really judge a whole lot in the spring game. I mean, defensive backs, you know, they can make an interception, they can knock down some balls, and they can stand out. That's kind of easy to see. Uh, on the defensive line, there's not a whole lot they can do because there's not a whole lot of sacks, uh, and you know, plus there's. You, know, you kind of two hand touch, so there's not like there's any big hits down on the quarterback. So it's kind of tough with the defense. But um, my thoughts, uh, my my feeling is that Lee Morris is kind of that not so fast guy for this year. Who wins the game, Grant? 
I'll go with the white team for the for what I said earlier about it. I, I just think there, there's a little more experience on defense, a little more talent on defense. And this time of year in the spring or any time you're talking about an, an, an inner squad scrimmage, generally the defense is going to have the upper the upper hand. So with that logic, I'll go with the team that has the most talent on defense. That's the white team, and I I, I hope it's a close game. I, I hope it's a it's a it's a dramatic, close, exciting finish of a game. Not holding my breath, but that'd be really cool if it happened. Yeah, and I'll go with the white team as well for pretty much all the reasons that you. You mentioned above. Anything else that you'd like to touch on as far as the the spring game goes before we move on to a little bit of Baker Mayfield talk? Sure. I I just want to give you an idea of what I'm going to be looking at the most. And here's what I usually like to take away from a spring game because there's so many many factors that go into it um, to explain maybe why you shouldn't put too much stock into a player's performance. Um, Playbooks are very vanilla. Um, they're they're not going to blitz a lot. There's just it, it's just going to be a lot of uh, just very basic football. And so what I like to see in games like this, Lee, is how do the young guys look in their uniforms? And, and I don't mean like how good do they look. I mean how big do they look? Do they look ready physically to compete at the at, at the college level as freshmen? So that means I'm going to be looking at guys uh, specifically like Ronnie Perkins, um, guys like Patrick Fields and 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 some of the younger defensive backs as well uh, all, all those young guys do they look physically ready to contribute as freshmen because guys like Ronnie Perkins um, Ronnie Perkins Jalen Redmond those are guys that that I, I think if if the defense is going is, is going to take a step forward this year you know guys like that are going to have to step up and contribute ahead of schedule and so that's what I want to see. I, I, Ronnie Perkins, I think, is right now is listed at like 6'4", 265. He's certainly, you know, the, those measurables sound like or they, they look like he's ready for the college game. And, and the same with Jalen Redmond uh, as well and those guys. So I, I want to see what they look like. And, of course, I, I think I've gone through this entire thing without mentioning Buki once. And, of course, I'm excited to see Buki. Um, I, I just that goes without saying just because the, the hype to this point has been has been almost over the top. So, you know, I, I want to see I want to see what he looks like out there and just kind of see how much how much responsibility it seems that they've given him. So it, it's going to be interesting. This, this is a season where I, I think this is probably the most uh, the most ability that they've had on the roster since probably the 2008 season or the 2010 or 2011 season. So uh, it's interesting, and a lot of it is is young guys. So um, I think we're going to get a really uh, well. I, I hope I hope that that things crystallize and we get an idea of of who is ready to take that next step and contribute. But uh, most of all, just 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 you know excited to see OU football again, and it's nice that it's going to be a regular game of football and not some gimmicky garbage with like six points for a sack but four points if it's a half a sack stupid stuff like that I don't know I'm just not into it but uh, hopefully hopefully it's a fun game aside from the actual football related stuff on Saturday of course the big thing is all the events surrounding the spring game who who's going to be there will 80,000 show up an update all of the field passes for Trace Adkins sold out so a lot of that, I think it was like 200. There's like they tweeted out a, a couple days ago that there's 200 remaining and they're all sold out. Now, I'm not sure how many there were to begin with. And also just a uh, a story uh, from my point of view, which obviously means that this one person equals a million people. I do know someone, Grant, that has a friend that was not going to go to the spring game, but Trace Atkins has made them want to go. So at least one person has been swayed by Trace Atkins, which now expand that out to the entire state of Oklahoma. That's millions of people. Cool. You know what? I think that I'm, logic makes sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. You're absolutely right. You've you've just confirmed that not only are they going to get eighty thousand at the game, they're going to get millions of people at the game. So I think that's something that Thank is you. that is Thank certainly you. very cool. But no, I mean that's great. I, I would I would love to be proved wrong about this. You know, I, I have. I have no qualms, and I'm not, I'm not too proud to admit that I that, that I'm wrong if if I'm proved to be wrong. So, uh, like I said, I hope I, I hope they get all the people that they want, and I hope uh, I hope the recruits are really impressed, and I hope we get some commits. That's that's pretty much what I'm hoping for. Should we predict whether or not they actually get the eighty thousand, or is that boring? Because I, you know what, I'll just jump in. I do not think they're going to get there because eighty thousand people is a lot, and they haven't even gotten close to that in recent years. But I can totally see them getting somewhere in the neighborhood of like sixty to sixty-five. 
Yeah, I and can you see know, that I, happening. I, sure, and I don't think you're. We, there's just a lot we don't know. I think at this time or at this point, anytime we're making a prediction, especially something like this, it it literally is just we're we're gonna throw something against the wall to see if it sticks. And so I, I'm on record. I've been saying it for a month now that I do think that they are gonna get the eighty thousand. So we're we can we can compete a little bit on that. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think they're gonna get there, and um, I, I'm sure weather will probably play a big a big factor as well. It's we'll see. Hopefully, it's a fun day. Yeah, the last I looked at the weather, it's actually supposed to be, as of now, uh, Tuesday, last I saw it was going to be like a high of 50 on Saturday in Norman. So the weather needs to change in the next few days because that's ridiculous. People aren't going to show up if the weather is cold. Yeah, that would be that would be a negative development. That's awful. Did not see that. I mean, I'm sure when they planned for April 14th, they did not even consider that the weather might be cold because middle of April in Oklahoma, it should be at least at least in like the mid to high 60s at the very least. All right, let's move on to a little NFL draft and Baker Mayfield talk. And, you know, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll be about two weeks away from the draft. The first round is Thursday, April 26th. We've been talking about the draft for what seems like forever, and not surprisingly, a lot of the draft topics are about the quarterback class. I think Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in this draft, and it's not just because I'm incredibly biased towards Mayfield in Oklahoma. It's because of what I've seen with my eyes from Mayfield compared to the rest of the field. Now, the guys over at Pro Football Focus also really love Mayfield. You may remember about a month ago or so, uh, maybe a little longer, we went over an article written by Sam Monson, who works at Pro Football Focus. It was an article that described just how good Baker Mayfield was during his career at OU. Now, I've got some audio to play from a couple of the Pro Football Focus guys, Monson included, as well as Steve Palazzolo. Here's the setup to the soundbite you're about to hear. They're showing a blind resume of two different quarterbacks. The stats included are passer rating when under pressure, passer rating with a clean pocket, and passer rating while not performing a play-action pass. Now, obviously, you're listening to this, so you can't see the numbers that they're showing, but all you've got to know, really, is that the numbers for door A are at least 10 points higher in each category compared to the numbers in door B. So I'm going to play this audio. It's just about two minutes long, and I think it's really good and informative about Baker Mayfield. So we have door A and door B. Door A, some pretty incredible numbers. 116.1 passer rating when pressured. 134.3 when clean. We have A versus B. These are single season numbers right here. Looks like door A might be the better player. But when we unveil what they are, what do we see? It's A is better than B, but A is only Baker Mayfield. It's Baker Mayfield's career against the best season of the rest of the draft class. This is incredible. This is what we've been saying all along. Baker Mayfield isn't just the best quarterback in this class. No matter what way you stack the numbers, you can't get anybody else close to him. Baker Mayfield's career is head and shoulders above the best single season of any of the other guys that are top prospects. He is statistically an absolutely mind-blowing quarterback. So this is his career passer rating under pressure against just Sam Darnold in 2016, against just Mason Rudolph in one season, against just Sam Darnold in 2016 when it comes to non-play action. And these are key areas as well. The more we've you know, really gotten into the analytics and the predictive nature of our quarterback stuff, the most important thing is playing from a clean pocket, hitting open throws, doing all this, a lot of the stuff that we think is considered easy in those non-play action passes because those are your third and longs, those passes where the defense pretty much knows you're passing. Mayfield is excelling in all of the right areas to project to the next level. Yeah, and critically, under pressure, it's, it's not the most predictive of stats, but at some point when you're like Baker Mayfield and you are well over 100 in terms of pass rating every single season when under pressure – it's time to start saying that particular part is predictive as well. Look, Mayfield had a little bit of help in that Oklahoma offense, but when he had to do the tough stuff, he did excel under pressure, clean pocket, third down and long, didn't matter. That's why Baker Mayfield is our number one quarterback. So a lot of really good stuff there, I thought. And again, if you, obviously you're listening to this, so you couldn't see the numbers, but the Mayfield's numbers were at least 10 points higher in all those categories than all the quarterbacks in the draft and that's for Mayfield's career and just to kind of add more to Baker Mayfield I've 
listen to this podcast uh, from a guy on the Colin Cowherd network. Uh, his name is John Middlecoff. And if you remember last week or two weeks ago, whenever we talked about Wonderlick scores, he was the guy that that leaked some of the Wonderlick scores. And I, I, I enjoy him. I think he's interesting. He's got some good takes on on the NFL and college. And, and he was talking about Mayfield the other day on a podcast I was listening to. And Middlecoff said something that we've said before on this podcast it, is that, hey, I mean, can we just can we just admit? And this is Middlecoff talking. He basically I'm paraphrasing. He said, "Can we just admit that if Baker Mayfield was six foot three, this this wouldn't even be a discussion. He'd be by far easily the number one quarterback in this draft." And that's basically what you and I have been saying for a month, Grant, is or in, and longer is that the only reason that there's a debate at who's the best quarterback in this draft is because Baker Mayfield is six foot three eighths instead of six foot three or six foot four so uh i know a lot of stuff there for you to unpack but uh, i'll let you decide on where you want to jump in and, and and talk about baker mayfield yeah you know i agree and i think we've talked about it on the show for nearly four months now that that's our opinion and we we think baker mayfield is better than all those other guys you know we're going to find out one where he's drafted in about two weeks. And then we're going to find out in about nine months, whether, you know, who's right, or at least, you know, based off of rookie season performance. So, um, I, I think we're getting to the point now where, you know, the evaluations really have been done. And I think people have just kind of, um, have gone back and forth so much on this stuff. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm just anxious to see how it plays out. I, I think it's getting really interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen a, a a draft season where there's been more moving around. I feel like there's been a lot more trades before the draft this year than any other uh, year I can ever remember. And that makes things really interesting. Hell Lee, what if, what if the Patriots move up and take Baker Mayfield? How, I mean, I mean, I've, I've seen talk of that maybe happening. Well, yeah, Jason Lock and one of the, the NFL writers, I can't remember what, what outlet he writes for, but uh, I mean, I remember I've heard about that guy forever. He's been writing about the NFL forever. And yeah, it was I think last week where he just had a hunch it sounds like he doesn't have any inside info. He wasn't talking to anybody, but he has a hunch that the Patriots like Baker Mayfield and the Patriots could potentially try to move up in the draft to try to get a quarterback. And that quarterback, again, his hunch is that they like Mayfield more than anybody else, because now, of course, the Patriots have two first round picks that in theory, they could make a move up in the draft and, and get the next uh, the next quarterback that could potentially be tom brady's successor which the idea of baker mayfield potentially being tom brady's successor is a cool thing obviously and also kind of a a really bad thing because you never really want to be the guy that follows up the legend you never really want to be that guy you want to be the guy that follows up the guy because it it seems like if you follow up a legend you're destined to to maybe not fail fully, but you're always going to be potentially uh, compared to that that legendary quarterback. And Tom Brady is the best quarterback that's ever played the, the you know that's ever played the position. So it would be incredible. I mean, if, if there's any if there's anybody that could take the pressure of that, it's probably Baker Mayfield, just because he would he's always had to prove himself throughout his entire career, and he would love the challenge of that. But still, that's a tall task. The only upside to that is that you'd be going to an incredibly steady, uh, elite organization, which would be a very good thing, obviously. And sure, I mean, this is all speculation at this point, but it's 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 fun to talk about, and that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the entire draft season is is just speculation. So it's fun to talk about. But yeah, it would certainly be an interesting scenario for sure. And then I I suppose really, I mean, the only the only um, example I can think of of someone. Um, following a legend and and succeeding is is Aaron Rodgers right now with Brett Favre, so um, and yeah, that's a good and, point. And Aaron Rodgers is 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 superior to Brett Favre in pretty much every single way. I, I can't imagine you know that would that would happen with with Baker Mayfield and Tom Brady, but um, certainly interesting. I mean, that would be that'd be a hell of a story for sure. Uh, you know, the Patriots moving up in the draft uh, to draft Baker Mayfield to replace Tom Brady would be a hell of a sports story oh my god oh my god and also too you know too bad with all the injuries but uh, i mean andrew luck was doing pretty darn well following peyton manning but just the, the whole team around him is just such a disaster and then the health is an issue but andrew luck's a guy that in theory if he can get healthy again he could be one of those guys when all said and done is like okay he came after a legendary quarterback and was also pretty successful as well it's just a Super Bowl for the the Colts seems so far away at this point. Well, yeah, uh, he's gonna he, he's gonna need a uh, a front office and a and a coaching staff to help him out, and that is still uh, still seeing whether or not that's gonna materialize. 
And also, too, just as far as talking about Mayfield potentially falling a legend, I mean, it's probably not going to happen or unlikely. But what if somehow the Saints could go after him and the Saints could bring him in and and he could be the next guy following Drew Brees? You know, that's another. Yeah, you know what? I, and I've yeah, I've I, I've seen talk of that kind of die down a little bit once it's become fairly clear that that Mayfield is is almost certainly going to go in the in the top ten. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah I mean, we'll we'll see. It would be cool. I mean the. I guess in terms of fit, I can't really think of a better fit for Baker than the New Orleans, like I've been saying for months, and then now New England, which now seems like a new possibility. So it's two weeks, man. I'm getting really excited for the draft. I love the draft. The draft is just spectacular TV. So where do you see Mayfield going in the draft right now? I think he's going to go third to the Jets, actually. Um, so we'll see. I mean, that's that's just my prediction now. Um it seems like yeah, there's it always certainly seems like that's where the wind is starting to blow. Yeah. And I think there's uh, you know, and a lot can happen. I mean, who knows someone could jump up and take the giants pick and, and trade with them and just so much can happen. And that's why I'm excited for, for draft night. Just what an incredible night of television that's going to be. You can hear in my <laughs> voice. I am fired up for that. That's just going to be such a great night. You know, people get super excited over the NBA draft. Cause there's, you know, there's a lottery and there's a lot of, in the in the NBA, one player can really change an organization. Uh, the NFL, I mean, sometimes the NFL draft, the classes aren't that great. But man, yeah, I, as far as a non-game scenario, I mean, this could be one of the most dramatic and fun uh, sporting events that we've seen in a while. Just with what could happen on draft night uh, for the NFL, I think he's going to go to the Jets too at this point because it really seems like the Jets Jets are enamored with him at three. I, I was you know. It was months ago where I kind of figured that he'd go to Denver if, if he was still around for Denver at five. Now it looks like maybe he'll be not just a top ten pick, but maybe a top three pick. Man, though, Baker going to the Jets would be really sad. I would not like that at all. You know who their offensive coordinator is going to be this upcoming year? No. Still there, Grant? Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeremy Bates. Jeremy Bates has done absolutely nothing in the NFL, and he is, except for being in charge of really bad offenses. So he he is not a coordinator that I would be happy with Baker Mayfield learning underneath, and especially I mean he's he'd be the only guy there that as far as offense goes because uh, Todd Bowles is the head coach and he's a defensive guy. So Baker Mayfield playing under Jeremy Bates, who's calling plays. I mean he was the I think he was like the quarterback coach for Jay Cutler for a year and back in Denver too and Chicago. And it just I think he was with Seattle for a little bit too one time, but I, I think he's kind of a Pete Carroll kind of guy. But he was never really in charge of anything for as far as I know. I just he he doesn't excite me whatsoever. So uh, I Mayfield to the Jets would not make me happy as far as the future of Mayfield, as far as him reaching his full potential. You know, we'll see. We'll we'll see if 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 he's really going to be a successful NFL quarterback. I think he's going to be a good player no matter where he goes. It, it could just be that that you know that one or two coaching staffs that might be able to put him over the edge, um, and you know to be great. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, I I agree. I don't think I I think the Jets would would not be a great fit for him. I think think the Giants at number two would be a much better fit uh, for Baker than the Jets would be. But mm-hmm. um, just in terms of personnel and and and. Uh, because I mean, he would have Sterling to throw to again, and also Odell Beckham. I mean, that would be a great situation for for Baker. But you know, we'll see. It's all speculation at this point, and it'll all uh, take care of itself in about I don't know, fifteen, sixteen days. It's exciting. So excited. I mean, Jeremy Bates is out of football from twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen. I mean, he was out for like five years. And it's just well, Lee. How about you go ahead and just contact the the New York Jets uh, football organization and just let them know how how unhappy you are that Jeremy Bates is their offensive coordinator, especially seeing as that they're considering drafting your boy. I mean, they're they're gonna. I mean, say, hey, this is Lee Benson of the uh, of the West of Everest podcast, and you know that obviously demands attention right away. And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm really concerned about what you guys as professionals have done to hire this offensive coordinator uh, for professional football. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, first of all, I would have our secretary uh, give him a call because here at West of Everest, you know, we don't make our own phone calls. We have other people do it for us. That's number one. <laughs> uh, number two, I would certainly voice my displeasure and I would ask to speak to Mr. Bates on the phone, which I'm sure they would just direct me right away. And I would say, 
excuse me, Mr. Bates, uh, can I talk to you in private for a second? And then I'd give him the message. So, I mean, you would already be talking in private. You'd be on the phone, but mm. well, really, that's neither here nor really, there. Po- really poking holes in your uh, in, in your thought exercise here. I think maybe I you just, should just move I'm on. Not, I'm not excited about that. So, I, hopefully, the Jets is not not in Mayfield's future. Uh, before we go here, I just did you happen to hear Colin Cowherd's latest rip on Baker Mayfield? I, I didn't think it was last week. I didn't, but I'm really excited now to hear it. Do you have or? Do you have uh, it? I don't. I don't have. No, I, I don't have the audio. I, I didn't have time to pull it because um, it was it was more of a visual rip, so it wouldn't play very well in a podcast. But I'll, here's the Cliff Notes version. He had Joe Clat on uh, last Thursday, I believe. And as we all know, Clat Clat likes Baker, and, and he defends Baker Mayfield to, to Colin. His latest rip on Mayfield. He's really starting to to kind of go off the rails on Baker Mayfield with his with his criticism. He showed a play from the Ohio State game. The touchdown pass to Trey Sermon when Mayfield kind of bought time and, and stepped up in the pocket and then swung it over to Sermon who made a nice play and scored a touchdown. They showed the all-22 camera angle of that and they spot-shadowed Mayfield. And when Mayfield made the play and threw the touchdown pass, after the play was over, he started running to the right side of the field, like through the end zone, away from all his teammates to like celebrate. And to that, Colin Cowder was saying, that's a that's a huge red flag. Look, he's all about himself. He doesn't even want to celebrate with his teammates. I don't like it. And it was like, are you are you kidding me? You're picking out a random touchdown pass from the Ohio State game and showing that he's running around away from his teammates to show that he is more about himself and not about his team. This coming from a player who gets countless praise from his teammates, talks about all of his teammates love him, always talk about how much of a leader he is, not to mention a lot of touchdowns and a lot of big plays he will gladly run over and celebrate with his teammates, as we saw throughout his career at Oklahoma. He just happened to pick one random play from the Ohio State game where he didn't do that specifically. Uh, To Joel Klatt's credit, he came on, and it's almost like they had this planned out, so they tried to make good radio of it. But Klatt showed three other plays from that game where Mayfield threw a touchdown or scored a touchdown and then went and celebrated with his teammates. So Klatt was like, come on, man, this is this is really bad. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's start he's using random touchdown passes where Mayfield celebrates uh, in the wrong way, if you will, to criticize Baker Mayfield. Well, he's just he, he's doubling down. He, he he realizes that he's kind of going against the wind now. He knows that a lot of his inside people are probably starting to tell him, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of NFL teams are thinking really highly of this guy, and I think he's just doubling down. He's looking for anything, um, and and that's fine. I mean, that's human nature, and that's that that's just kind of the the nature of the business, the the hot take uh, culture that we're in now. So he's just he's just not giving up his take, and that's all. And you know what? I'll uh, he's cowards like is, is the best in the business. He's just wrong about this thing. No big deal. Yeah, no, and I like Colin Cowherd a lot. He, he's incredibly talented. Uh, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, man, this guy's an idiot. Well, he's, he's not. He's, he's very smart, and he's very good at what he does. Uh, the one thing, though, I will point out, and, and I think you're with me on this, because you and I, we've listened to him for years. Because, uh, again, I th- he's, he's the best in sports talk radio. I mean, he's no matter what, for the most part, he's interesting. And there's a lot of really uninteresting, boring sports talk personalities. The thing with him that he always likes to harp on, that he likes to, to use over and over again, is the saying, people – instead of trying to get it right, they want to be right. Is that what it is? Did I get that wrong? Yes, yeah. He, he always criticizes. He says, he, says you're try, he says you're trying to be right and not trying to get it right is right. one of his main criticisms. Which So, uh, so yeah, so it, which I love. I love that he's so into that because there are countless scenarios, and I shouldn't say countless because I, I can only think of this one example, the Baker Mayfield thing. I think Baker Mayfield is a perfect example of, of him – wanting to be right as opposed to trying to get it right he's basically being a hypocrite when it comes to that well and, and i think this is a this is just a good example of him not doing his homework his, his biggest um the thing that he was always on top of at the beginning um when he would bring up mayfield was 
runs a spread offense, runs the big or plays in the Big Twelve against pillow, you know, pillow fight defenses. That was always his main thing. He's not really saying that as much anymore, is because I know he's got the insider guys telling him, yeah, this guy is this guy is legit, and so that's why he's doubling down and going back to the to the off the field, uh, to the personal stuff. Um, he's just he's yeah, like I said, just trying to defend his take. And you know what? He might be right. He, he may be right in the very end. We don't know yet. So that's um, true. He might be, but I I, I think he's wrong. But you know we'll, we'll find out. All right, you know I I kind of like the idea of having like a, a hot take of the week that we we break down. You know I, I know it's kind of like low low ball radio and or podcasting in a way, but I, I enjoy st- stuff like that. I enjoy whenever I hear other people criticize other people's hot takes. Am I alone on that, or do you like that too, or? Is it is it stupid? Or like, is that something? No, we it's should not stupid. I like doing? it. I like it. I think this is that that just plays to our instincts of. I mean, we're sports fans. We like we're we're sports fans, and we like to think and talk about sports. And so, any time that there's high level discussion of that, we I enjoy it. I certainly enjoy it. Um, so even yeah, I mean, and it's 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 fun to break down bad hot takes. Um, and you know what? It's fun to break down good hot takes. So you know, let's um, yeah, let's do it. I'm all for it. Let's okay. So we'll we'll kind of keep an eye out, keep an ear out for certain hot takes or rants or just I, I, the, the saying hot take is kind of now it's it's overdone. But something that that stands out to us that maybe we can uh, we can break down and, and unpack on the next show, and maybe that can be a weekly segment. Uh, and then our listeners, obviously, if they hear something, and they can alert us, and and we can check it out as well. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, All right. Well, that is our show. Join us again next week where we will break down and unpack all that happened at the Oklahoma spring game. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.